What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A listener note, this story contains adult language, and some graphic descriptions of violence. So this is the letter I received from Ray Carruth. It was the first time I'd heard from him in almost 20 years. This was in February, and it just showed up at the office, more or less out of the blue. He writes, In every great piece of literature, there's always a protagonist and an antagonist. And unfortunately, in this very real-life saga, the latter applies to me. 911, the letter continues. With everyone so heavily entrenched in the past and the tragedy that led us to this chapter, there's nothing I could ever say or do to right my wrongs or to no longer be, quote, the bad guy. Okay, where are you shot at, ma'am? I don't know. I was driving. You were driving and someone shot you? Yes. Did you see the person that shot you? I'm eight months pregnant. Okay, ma'am, I'm going to connect you to medic. Continue to talk to them. Caruth also said in the letter, there are times in life when no matter how well-intentioned a person may be, some things just can't ever be fixed or made right. How did this happen? He concludes by writing, This will be the very last time I make any comments concerning this situation. For my character, this is regrettably where the story ends. It's time to move on. And that was it. As many times as I reached out to him, we haven't had an on-the-record interview since the late 90s. And as far as Ray Carruth himself, I think a lot of people kind of forgot about him. That's just how these things go. I'll tell you what, though, I've been at the Charlotte Observer since 1994. That was a year before North Carolina even had an NFL team. I had covered a lot of things before that night in 1999, and a whole lot of them since. 
but I have never covered any other story like this. I'm Scott Fowler, a reporter for The Observer, and for much of my career I've covered a miracle that began just after midnight on November 16, 1999, when 24-year-old Sharika Adams was shot four times. Ma'am, stay with me. Stay with me. Keep talking to me, ma'am. It was a crime that shocked the sports world. And in the years since that night, Panthers wide receiver Ray Carruth, her on-again, off-again boyfriend, has become one of the most infamous villains in sports history. Hero Ray Carruth of Sharika Adams and his own son for dead. But like any story, the reality is far more complicated. Carruth at the 40 has the first... Some maintain Carruth has always been innocent, an NFL player chasing stardom, whose career was cut short by a wrongful imprisonment that has gone on for nearly 20 years. I know my son. Ray did no wrong. Others believe he should already have been put to death. You know, I was like pride of son of a bitch was what I wanted. For the past year, I've conducted dozens of exclusive interviews, reviewed thousands of pages of documents, and uncovered startling new revelations made public for the first time here about the most notorious crime in Charlotte history. I've talked to the families. She's telling me I'm going to be a grandma. The lawyers. I don't know if he was innocent in the sense that he never did anything wrong, but he hadn't hired these people to kill Sharika Adams. The police officers. One of the questions was, do you think Ray was involved? And she just made a question mark. The friends. They portray all the women in his life as if he was some big player. And the killer. She's screaming. She's drowning. And all blood. We have to find out where you are. Stay with me on the line. What I found was a murder mystery, a love story, the legacy of Caruth. This is Chapter One Ray and Sharika. Ladies and gentlemen, Sonny and Cher. I was a really big fan of Sonny and Cher. So when I was thinking of a name for Sharika, I wanted it to be unique because I knew she would just be a very unique, really vibrant type of person. This is Sandra Adams, Sharika's mother. For simplicity's sake, we'll use their first names. She was almost about to be named after the vacuum cleaner, Eureka. And I thought, no, I don't want her to be associated with dirt and cleaning and stuff. So I said, I'm going to name her Cher. She was a V-A-M-P vamp. You know, she held her own. And so I said, well, I put the two together, the Cher part and not Eureka, but the Eka part. And so that's how she got the name Sharika from Sunny and Cher. For much of the past two decades, those who didn't know Sharika personally have known her only as a victim, the dying mother of an unborn son, and the moaning but determined voice from a 911 call. How old are you? 24. Is this your first baby? Today, that original 12-minute 911 recording lives on an old cassette tape inside a dented box stashed deep in the basement of a Charlotte courthouse. As far as I know, it's the only recording of Sharika's voice that's ever been made public. And it doesn't come close to encompassing a woman who, for 24 years, dazzled almost everyone she met. It's like when someone enters a room and you know that they're there. She would command the room with her presence. Sonia Melton met Sharika when they were both freshmen at Winston-Salem State University back in the fall of 1993. She just 
knew instinctively what she wanted and what she was worth. And, and to speak to the impact that she had on my life, I remember we were sitting in a Wendy's. We, it was a group of us had, had gone out to eat and she was sitting to my right and she looked at me and she was like, wow, you are so beautiful. And it just hit me in such a way because she really was a beautiful inside and out person. And so when she said that to me, I believed it. She knew everybody was going to know who she is. She knew that people were going to know her name. Sharika grew up surrounded by family members and friends who loved her. She had an unremarkable childhood, but her appearance always stood out. She was petite with big brown eyes. She often wore dresses to high school, and her interest in fashion made her a natural for modeling as a teenager. She had the looks that could rival Halle Berry, Beyonce, all the beautiful women out there. Sharika was really pretty, but she wasn't aware of how pretty she was. This is Valerie Brooks, who became fast friends with Sharika in the 1990s, despite a nearly 20-year age difference between the two. They met while working in Charlotte's real estate scene. And what Brooks remembers goes far beyond the superficial descriptions of Sharika that filled news coverage at the time. I met Sharika about six months after I moved here. On one of my outings, I was with my husband. She was representing a builder at that time. And I walked into the model home and she was sitting there and she's like a breath of fresh air. And we had great conversation and she said, I will show you the city of Charlotte. And I said, okay, well, that's great. And we connected right then and there. Determination is a theme that comes through in every conversation I've ever had about Sharika. It was there from the moment she was born in 1975 in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, some 30 miles west of Charlotte. I had Sharika over the summer before my senior year in high school. Sharika's father was Jeff Mooney, and we actually met because he was a bus driver and I was a bus driver. Back in the day, the, so students, the students could drive the buses, yes. Sharika so very nearly arrived in the back of her grandfather's light blue Chevy Impala. Because my dad was farming. We farmed, and um, dad had taken the tractor out to dig up the field for planting. We told dad it was time to get me to the hospital. Well, he was not going to leave his tractor in the field. And meanwhile, I'm at home. I'm like, I really got to go. So we, he got out the good car. In the meantime, I'm like, we need to really be getting on our way. And Dad stops at all the red lights. And I'm telling him, I'm in the back seat. The baby is coming. And um, I'm scared because I'm like, we're in the good car. I cannot have this baby in the good car and mess up his car. So I was holding Sharika in so much so that when we got to the hospital, they didn't even have time to call the doctor. She just came out. She just came. And she had a spot in the crown of her head where I had been holding her in so much. Hair would never grow on that one little thumb spot right in the middle of her hair, and it was mashed in. Sharika was raised primarily by three people. In her early years, it was Sandra's parents, Jack and Virginia Adams. 
and then it was Sandra herself once Sharika moved to Charlotte before starting the third grade. Growing up, one of Sharika's closest friends was Kim Lark. She'd even lived with Sandra and Sharika for a while when the two girls were teenagers. We're best friends forever, and it's true, we are best friends and sisters for absolutely ever. As we talked, Lark reached into her purse and pulled out an old photo. It was March, Friday, March 31st, 1989, and I wrote spring break on the bottom of it. I don't know where we were going. I don't think we were going anywhere. We just It shows the two of them at home, playing dress-up, with Sharika deciding what both of them should wear, dreaming about a future of limitless promise. Um, she always thought Charlotte was a small, a small place, and um, Sharika loved butterflies. In my mind, I think that she thought the butterfly as a way of, I'm going to get out of here one day. I'm going to go and do the things that I want to do, and I think flying would help her do that. At least two people hit when gunfire breaks out in a South Sacramento parking lot. As Sharika grew up in North Carolina, a young man on the other side of the country was making a name for himself as well. Ray Lamar Theotis Wiggins, with the last name courtesy of his biological father. But as he grew up in Sacramento, raised by his mother Theodre and his stepfather Samuel Carruth, Ray soon took the last name of Carruth instead. The fourth homicide in Oak Park this year. The city's Carruth grew up surrounded by crime in the Oak Park section on the south side of Sacramento. These arrests are part of a larger effort to make the Oak Park neighborhood safer. A new urgency for city leaders to do something about the ongoing violence in Oak Park. But he never had problems with the law. The Audrey Carruth, his mother, was a dominant force in his life who once described herself as the, quote, piranha protecting her young guppy. And maybe that's still true today. The Audrey declined to participate in this project, but earlier this year when I wrote about that letter her son had sent me, I did receive this voicemail from her. Hi, Mr. Fowler, this is the Audrey Carruth, and I just called to tell you thank you for the um, story that you did. It was, it was so much more softer than what I've seen in the past. And I just want to say thank you. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. I might disagree with her assessment of the article, but I can't argue with a mother's unconditional love for her child. Towards the end of high school, his mom came to me and says, tell me what to do to get ready to the next level. This is Dave Hoskins, who's coached high school football in the Sacramento area for more than 50 years. He was Carruth's head coach for three seasons at Valley High. I only met his dad one time. The dad walked out on the practice field and he said, will you take care of my son? and make sure that he gets into college. Well, I said, yeah, I said, that's part of my job. He said, thank you very much. He turned around and disappeared. On the field, Carruth's performance spoke for itself, enough for Hoskins to promote Carruth to the varsity as a sophomore. Well, I've never coached a kid as fast as he is. He was only a sophomore. And so I brought him up to the varsity, and this poor little kid was covering Ray. And, and Ray just blew by him so fast. And the kid was shaking his head. So we called the kid from the other school and said, hey, don't feel bad. There's not many people that can stay with this kid. And he goes, really? I said, really? Carruth <laughs> didn't smoke, drink, or use drugs. That made him a shining star in his neighborhood, matched only by his growing stardom on the football field. Oak Park has devoured and claimed far too many promising young lives, temptations of the streets and drugs, and 
no way to get out, but there are success stories. And for a long time, Ray Carruth was a success story at Oak Park. Joe Davidson is in his 30th year as a sports reporter for the Sacramento Bee. But I saw him play a couple of games. I thought, wow, you know, this guy may be an NFL guy. I mean, just one of those wild performers. You know, the coaches that played against him said, this is as good a guy as we've ever seen around here. You know, just can't handle his speed. In high school, Carruth never excelled the same way academically. But Hoskins says Theodri knew how to keep her son on track. She worked at Costco. She had Ray collecting carts out in the heat. I remember her telling him, if you don't take care of your grades, this is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. With that incentive, Davidson remembers Carruth taking every loss personally, on the field and off. Ray always had a chip on his shoulder against the Sacramento Bee when he felt like he should have been the Sacramento Bee Player of the Year as a senior year. We gave it instead to James Kidd of a rival program, Elk Grove High School. He was still an all-metro first-team player, all-city guy two years in a row. But that was kind of a, a driving force. He put things personal, and he was upset about it. As local accolades piled up, national college recruiting trips followed. I was a volunteer coach in a recruiting weekend, and Ray came up, and he had a suit and a briefcase. John Embry, then an assistant coach at the University of Colorado, remembers the first time he met Carruth. And uh, I remember thinking, that's odd, you know, because guys, when they come on their recruiting trips, you know, they want to have fun, they do all this stuff. And here, to him, he said it was a business trip. So he's dressing accordingly. And then whenever he had meetings with people on campus, it could be the academics, could be in the weight room, he had a list of questions and he had checklists and things he wanted to know about and he wrote down the answers. I mean, he was very meticulous about it. Was he pulling papers out of that briefcase? Yeah, yeah, he had a little notepad and had it all. I mean, it was, it really was impressive. It, It made you want to get him even more. Ruth's life had always revolved around football. A preschool teacher had once assigned him to draw what he wanted to be when he grew up. Carruth sketched himself between two goalposts, wearing a football helmet, with his arms raised in triumph. Into the end zone, touchdown, Ray Carruth! But unlike many big-time players, Carruth wasn't particularly big. He was listed at only 5'11 and 194 pounds, but he was extremely fast. So we've got Carruth that can fly. Which helped convince Colorado to offer him a full ride scholarship in 1992. Stewart, good time. Let's it go. And in 1994, to put him on the field during one of the most memorable plays in college football history. He's got three people down there. The miracle in Michigan. Caught by Westbrook for a touchdown. Incredible. Carruth enjoyed his celebrity on campus, but that's not unusual for an athlete. What's more memorable to his coaches is the way he was also capable of using it for good. You know, there was a time we found out after the fact, uh, during one of the spring games, this kid came up to him. Here's Embry again. And so they had a little autograph session or something, and, and the kid says, you're my favorite player. He goes something about how it was his birthday and how excited it was he got to meet Ray. And Ray found out the kid had a party the next weekend, and he showed up with a present for the kid. <laughs> Carruth became an all-conference wide receiver at Colorado and even earned some All-America notice, too. Back then, he was still several years away from meeting Sharika, but he once told an interviewer while at Colorado something that made Ray and Sharika seem like a natural fit. No matter what I do, Carruth said, I've decided I want to be famous. 
With the uh, first pick of the draft, the Indianapolis... In 1997, the Carolina Panthers, coming off a 12-4 season and a deep run in the playoffs, drafted Carruth in the first round, 27th overall. His potential also seemed limitless. Oh, fast, man. He was a, he was a track guy. I, I feel like he was a track guy playing football. And Mike Minter was a safety who played against Carruth in college. Hessler's pass on to Carruth. And Minter really popped him. Mike Minter, Jr. From and then was taken by the Panthers in the second round of that same 1997 draft. You know, both of us small guys. We were, like, we were both big guys. And so all these similarities kind of gravitated us to, to hang out. And so we spent a lot of time together that first year. Carruth was signed to a four-year, $3.7 million contract that included a $1.3 million signing bonus. Second and 14. And he made the NFL's all-rookie team, catching 44 passes for 545 yards and four touchdowns. That is caught into the end zone. Touchdown, Ray Carole. The Panthers made him a starter. Carole at the 40, has the first down. For they finished the season 7-9, and nine, but were excited to pair Carruth with Musin Muhammad. Wide open, Musin Muhammad. Another young receiver everyone called Moose as their primary pass catchers for years to come. You saw the talent. And you like, oh, this guy going to be good. That's how you get respect in the locker room. It's, it's not about what you say. It's about what you do. And, and this guy was producing. And so you had Moose on, on one side. And he was a young, emerging wide receiver. And now you got the speed guy on the other side. I mean, that's the dream of an NFL offensive coordinator, right? Is I, I got these two guys. So you like, we building something. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game-changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That rookie year was Carruth's best in the NFL. A broken right foot at the start of 1998 sidelined him for the year. He returned for the first five games of the 1999 season before getting hurt again. He never scored another touchdown in the league. First of all, I think it, it, it messes with you personally, you know, psychologically how you deal with that because you've been a man in college, you had a great rookie year, and you have an injury that sets you back. Now, how do you deal with that when you've never had to deal with anything like that? Well, Ray was, uh, he was a pretty complex guy, you know, he, uh... This is Steve Burline. Burline? He was Carolina's starting quarterback during most of Carruth's time with the team. Steve throws, it is caught, Carruth. I wanted to get his thoughts on Carruth because Burline has been one of the few Panthers players in 1999 or in all the years since who gave me more than a no comment, even when this saga was hardest to talk about. He really kept to himself most of the time. He didn't have what I would consider a, a real outgoing personality. He wasn't a troublemaker. He wasn't a, uh, a distraction. He wasn't a negative influence you know, on anybody, but he just kind of did his own thing. you know. Covering Carruth back then, I found him eloquent, but very guarded. Carruth's guarded nature made him conscious of appearances and, I found, of the story he wanted told. That became clear in the longest conversation I ever had with him while he was still playing for a piece that I wrote about how players choose their jersey numbers. I told him that most NFL players just learn to love whatever number they are assigned as rookies, but Carruth said he had given his jersey a lot of thought. He said he was convinced that unless one of his numerals was a one, the uniform made him look fat. By his third season, he was on his fifth different number, finally settling on 89. It didn't have a one in it, but he told me it had something even better. No association with any other well-known Panther. Carew said he wanted to make the number 89 famous all on his own. By 1999, however, Carruth wasn't performing on the field, and he wasn't impressing his teammates anymore either. Mentor remembers a time soon after Carolina hired former San Francisco head coach George Seifert, who had won two Super Bowls with the 49ers. So Seifert comes in, right, new coach, and he wanted to make Ray a punt returner because he saw the explosive ability of Ray. Let's get the ball in his hand. And, and Ray wasn't about that, right, because Ray didn't like the physical part of the game, okay? You asking me to have a whole lot of faith in me catching this ball and nobody's going to knock me in my chin. And so he was a thinker. Too smart to say I want to go back to <laughs> Small wide receivers like Carruth are notorious for avoiding contact. But Carruth's reluctance to get back on the field and help the team however he could turned some heads in the locker room. Man, see, was like, you doing it? He was like, I'm not doing it. And so he put him back there. And he, man, he wouldn't even try to catch the ball, man. The ball just fall down. That was the first time I saw him come out of the shell of, hold up, if I don't want to do this, I'm not doing this. Even as his playing time decreased, Carruth was paid more than $37,000 a game. But the money didn't go as far as you might expect. He was lavish with his relatives. He lost money in an investment scheme. 
had bought a $240,000 house in Charlotte and he kept two cars, a white Ford Expedition and a red Mercedes-Benz. Most NFL contracts aren't guaranteed beyond the signing bonus, so Carruth struggling on the field cast doubt on his long-term financial security. And there was something else. In 1994, as a college student, Carruth had fathered a son with his former high school girlfriend in California, Michelle Wright. Here's what she told A&E TV about the relationship back in 2001. You know, we had a lot of breakups. He from two sides. It's like one minute he would love me on Tuesday, hate me on Wednesday. Wright had full custody of their son, Ray Jr. Carruth had wanted the baby to have his name, but he wasn't there for the birth. It took a lawsuit to compel Carruth to pay $3,000 a month in child support. He was mad. He was very upset. He tried to fight the suit. In my time covering Carruth, I felt like much of his life was about sustaining a kind of adolescence. He was in his early 20s, after all, and spent entire days playing in video game tournaments with teammates. He was handsome, polite, flirtatious, and very rich for his age, and a parade of women followed him around. And see, that's the thing about it. Like, when I watch shows that tell his story they portray all the women in his life as if he was some big player running through women and whatnot this is monique young who's been a friend of caruth's for the past 20 years he just had that type of personality that attracted cool people it wasn't a lot of female friends just female friends you know he had a lot of guy friends too well um yeah i think he just has a much broader perspective on life um This is David Rudolph, who would later become the lead defense lawyer for Ray Carruth. And if his voice sounds familiar, it might be because soon after representing Carruth, Rudolph also defended the writer Michael Peterson in a case that was recently made into the Netflix series The Staircase. His uh, focus was pretty much on sports and football and women back in the day. Carruth declined repeated invitations to speak with me on the record for this project, but he did authorize Rudolph to speak on his behalf. I think he's learned a lot about himself. Uh, I think he's gotten much more introspective. And, you know, I think uh, just generally uh, has, a, uh, has a healthy perspective on life. The Panthers harnessed that charm making him a guest speaker at their annual Football 101 camp in the late 1990s, an artifact of the decade that many NFL teams held at the time. It was basically mansplaining football to women. Regardless of how you might feel about that marketing tactic, the events were popular. We have had tickets from the very beginning, season ticket holders. First time they went to the Super Bowl, I couldn't stand it and we had to go. One woman who attended Carruth's class was a local doctor and Panthers fan named Dosha Hickey, a name that will become important later in this story. Oh, he was a nice, pleasant young man who cut up with the women and seemed to be having a good time. Talked, you know, to everyone, answered the questions, joked around. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews 
with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In June of 1998, Ray met Sharika at a pool party in Charlotte that a number of pro athletes attended. And she was pretty smitten with Ray Karouf when she met him. Here's Sandra again. I think they must have had pretty good conversation and wanted to continue the conversation a little more privately. So for whatever reason, she decided she wanted to go by her dad's house with him. So he got to meet Ray the first day that Sharika actually met him. Yeah, and uh, I think that was pretty unusual because dads don't like anybody, so. (laughs) For everything Sharika had going for her, she decided that higher education wasn't the right fit. In 1995, she had dropped out of Winston-Salem State. For the next several years, she worked mostly in real estate, often inside the model homes and subdivisions, giving tours to prospective buyers. She dreamed of one day owning her own home and filling it with a husband and several children. Sharika was a nurturer. Here's Valerie Brooks again. When I first moved here, I became very ill, and my family lived in Atlanta. She literally moved in my house for two weeks, and it was around Christmas time, put my Christmas tree up, cooked dinner. She literally kicked my husband out of the bed and slept in bed with me. She said, I need to be near you in the middle of the night in case something goes on. Ray and Sharika saw each other several times after that pool party, but then fell out of touch. It wasn't until Sharika relocated for a time to Atlanta that Caruth seemed to sharpen his interest in her. It was like when Sharika was in Charlotte, Ray didn't really have time for her because he was dating other people. 
then all of a sudden, once she came back to Charlotte for a visit, he was interested again. So when she got back to Atlanta, he was pursuing her just all the time, all the time. And I do recall, because Sharika had just a little pager when she was here, and all of a sudden she had a cell phone, and that, in 1998, was a big deal. And it was like, well, you know, Ray wants to be able to contact me when I'm out of town. So I thought, wow, that's, that was awfully nice of him, you know, to do that. In the years since, Carruth has downplayed their relationship. In a fiery 15-page letter he sent to Charlotte news station WBTV this year, he made that clear. According to him, they hooked up multiple times but were never in a relationship. This is from WBTV's report. He writes, lust was the tie that bound us, not like or love, and neither one of us was ever guilty of believing anything contrary to this. In November 1998, Carruth reconnected with Sharika at a teammate's birthday party held at a local strip club. That's another part of this story that often hasn't made the news coverage. Yes, he ended up seeing her at the club. And he was very upset that she was dancing. He was very upset that she was dancing. And um, How did you react when she did tell you about that? Well, I was, you know, this was in the 90s, and we're coming from a Christian perspective, and I'm like, this is just not what you want to see your daughter do. And it was so stigmatized and and associated with prostitution and uh, she was like, Mom, you know, it's not like on the other side of town where the guys are all up grabbing you and whatever. And she's like, let me tell you my plan. Now, the plan is I can make this much money in this much time, and I can put down on my condo. And I knew who, who she was in her character. And um, in all honesty, if I must say, when she started depositing all this money, I was like, do they need a mom? For the dancers, do they have like a mom for them that can kind of be there to oversee you and give you a little positive energy before you go? I could be, I, I'm, I'm a good encourager. And she, <laughs> she's like, Mom, no, you can't come down there. So we used to laugh about that. <laughs> Even at a strip club, however, familiar themes emerged. I would like to add that some of the girls were dancing to get drug money or to hook up with guys and whatever. And this one particular girl had a son and she was not able to give as much attention to her son as she could have. Sharika brought the girl and her son into her home to live so she could keep an eye on the son. So I could keep an eye on the son. So I basically kept this little boy and this girl ended up turning her life around because Sharika just kept feeding her positive things about her. And she encouraged the girl, and I still keep in contact with her. She's been completely clear of drugs for probably 10 years now, and her son has grown, and, you know, she still tells me of the inspiration that Sharika was to her. So it wasn't all bad. Ray and Sharika saw each other more and more after that night. And by April of 1999, she was pregnant. I later learned that soon after he had arrived in Charlotte in 1997,
Carruth had gotten another woman named Amber Turner pregnant. At his insistence, Turner had aborted that pregnancy, a fact that would loom large soon enough, but which at the time wasn't exactly shocking in a pro sports locker room. But Sharika would do no such thing, in part because she too had once made the wrenching decision to have an abortion. I believe she did. Mm-hmm. No, that that's not, that's not, she didn't speak of them together, that that's why she was so adamant, but I, I know that's why she was very adamant for wanting to keep this baby and wanting to have a family to be settled. She wanted to marry someone and have a child. Sharika wanted that with Caruth. Perhaps she believed she saw things in him no one else did, or maybe just that she could change him. And in May of 1999, Sharika took her mother out to breakfast. She wanted to celebrate. She was like, Mom, I've got the best gift ever for you for Mother's Day. She loved the original pancake house over at South Park. So we went there for breakfast, and I still have the card that she gave me. And she's telling me that I'm going to be a grandma. And I'm like, I know you're kidding. She's like, no, Mom, she hadn't. (laughs) She had taken about 10 pregnancy tests. And she and Ray had gone to the doctor together to take another one to make sure that it was so that she was pregnant. Just six months later, five shots rang out in a dark Charlotte night. Only one of those missed. And Sharika reached for the cell phone Caruth had given her and identified him in part by the number 89 he had sought to make famous. Ma'am? Yes. Okay, is that you blowing the horn? Yes. Where's your husband at? I don't have one. Or your boyfriend, the one you said that was with you. What's his name? Ray Caruth. Okay, what's his name? Ray Caruth. Ray Caruth. Ray But Caruth didn't actually fire those shots. And the man who did... I stood up for mine. I said I did it because he made me do it. ...is angrier than ever. What do you feel about Ray Carruth now? I'm trying to figure out a way to kill him. I'm Scott Fowler, and this podcast is produced by Jeff Siner and Rachel Wise and Davin Coburn at McClatchy Studios. Find lots more about this case at charlotteobserver.com slash Carruth. And for just $30, subscribe now to a full year of The Observer's award-winning sports coverage at charlotteobserver.com slash sportspass. Leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can reach me directly at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. In Chapter 2, A Journey into the Mind of a Hitman. Say, sir, how much would it take to beat up a girl and make her abort a baby? I said, I don't beat up a girl, I kill people. Say, how much would you charge and a stunning new account of Ray Carruth's actions on the night Sharika was shot. That's just not how a murder for hire takes place. And what he says, uh, and this is sort of new information, I guess, is... What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, 
and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.